Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where you are part owner. Member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by Lee Pomeroy. Good morning. Joining me now for our segment Every Day is Earth Day is Dr. Vincent Winstead, who is a professor in the Electrical and Computer Engineering and Technology Department here at Minnesota State University. I'm going to read a statement before I start talking with uh, Dr. Winstead, and we're going to chat a little bit about this, and it's a statement about power. Minnesota Power lays out renewable energy plan, meaning no coal by 2035, no carbon by 2050. The company reached 50% renewables in December and now plans to increase that to 70% by 2030. It will be 80% carbon-free by 2035 and 100% carbon-free by 2050. Minnesota Power will be coal-free by 2035 and carbon-free by 2050. And so a big part of that plan is requiring electric utilities in Minnesota to only use carbon-free energy resources by 2040. Is this a reality? Can this happen? Dr. Winstead? Uh, well, that's, it depends a little bit. So that's a kind of a complex question. First of all, the, the initiatives that a lot of the utilities in Minnesota are pursuing are in, include expected development in renewable resources. So more wind, which is a predominant in Minnesota. I think Minnesota now is something like 20-something percent electricity generation via wind. So that number is expected to increase. And uh, with expected construction projects uh, planned, you know, that's, that's expected to increase. And then solar is uh, increasing probably about the same rate um, now. So it's sort of keeping up with the wind generation development projects. And those two sources in particular, you know, can combine to, of course, moving towards that, that achieving that goal of being sort of carbon-free uh, electricity generation. Some of the difficulties that come with that, though, are, of course, still we have a fairly good mix in Minnesota as well as in the United States in general of more traditional, I would say, natural resources and fossil fuel-based generation as well as uh, renewables. So right now, you know, we have coal still, we have new, uh, natural gas, we have oil production uh, of, of electricity, although it's predominantly coal and natural gas and then nuclear, along with renewables. So uh, all of those uh, are, if you will, important pieces at the moment uh, to maintain the grid, to maintain electricity, electricity production. So when you talk about going to a sort of zero carbon or kind of carbon neutral future, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, possibilities there. That's I mean, it, they're talking 30 years out, which might. technically really isn't that long in the scheme of things, but I suppose technology does move fast. So that's why I was curious if you think it's even a reality to, to do something like this. Yeah, well, I, I will say this. It's very encouraging that over the past 10 to 15 years, coal production has uh, been cut in half, in essence. And there's a sort of transition technologies that have taken us from coal to natural gas. I mean, that's a predominant change in the in the uh, portfolio, you could say, uh, with production. Coal going to natural gas. So natural gas has, you know, 
half or something like that, the carbon emissions um, in terms of CO2. So that's a step in the right direction. And as I said, with the growth in renewables, um, you know, you're, you're making good progress on that end as well. Some of the difficulties, though, have to do with, I think, making sure that you can still satisfy base load. I mean, for electricity, customers expect reliability. And, you know, we really are used to having reliable energy. You know, the only time I think we think of the power going out around here is if there's a big tornado or something that wipes it off. But we looked to Texas last winter when they had that big blackout and simply all they would have needed to have done was to add insulation so they wouldn't, if it got really cold, that they wouldn't have lost the power. But they didn't want to, I guess what I understand, they didn't want to make the extra expense to do that extra step because they thought, oh, it'll never happen to us. Well, I, th- I think in Texas, yeah, they had sufficient power. It's just they did, it wasn't available to them right. uh, because of the weather situation. And, you know, you talk about a 100-year kind of event. I've heard that uh, quoted before. Oftentimes you don't plan for that because it can be quite expensive. Uh, right. In Texas, you don't expect the type of weather you'd see, say, in Minnesota. But yes, I think uh, reliability is on the forefront of people's minds, along with things like cybersecurity. So when you talk about uh, smart grid concepts where you have resources from lots of different places as opposed to being centralized into one single you know, uh, power plant. And that's part of this future sort of vision is to have lots of different sources of energy from, you know, called distributed energy, right? So you have this distributed energy resource. And then because of that, you have you know, lots of complicated, say, interactions between these that have to be taken care of. So it's it's not a, it's a technological uh, leap, so to speak, towards this sort of future vision. Uh, but it, we are heading in that direction and, uh, and, and hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. The challenges that remain, I think, have a lot to do with the base load. So that's this, uh, this idea that, you know, your electricity is generated from these kind of core sources that are always available or have really high reliability. So you... A coal-fired power plant, you turn it up, uh, it will produce. Nuclear power plant, it will produce as long as the rods are operating and and you're controlling uh, uh, the safety measures and so forth. It will produce electricity and and it won't shut off or, or if you will, uh, you won't lose that uh, energy. It won't go down or or whatever. It's very controllable and it's and it's you know good reliable. Whereas the renewable resources, um, the challenge is. That you know, again, the, the sort of uh, uh, you know typical saying: the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't <laughs> always blow. So, of course, current technology moving ahead is is really trying to address that uh, with this sort of port the, with the storage uh, idea. So, in other words, having some way to capture that energy when it's available, and then you have a storage at the location where the energy is captured that you can then take advantage of. So that this source that seems to not be so reliable enhances its reliability or or its availability. So truly the storage part of when you capture that renewable energy is the big part that we haven't been able to do. Kind of like when you talk about the electric cars, they can only go so far on that battery and then they have to be recharged. So is that something that's being worked on is how to figure out that storage piece of it? Are you doing any work with that research? As as a matter of fact, yes, we're doing some of that at Minnesota State uh, on a small scale. But even in Minnesota, there are some sort of pilot projects, I, I would say, that are up and running and that are in development as well. And they're megawatt scale storage uh, projects where they're looking at battery technology in particular, although that's not the only technology you could use for storage. But it is a nice technology because you know, people are familiar with batteries. Batteries have relatively high efficiency. And when I say that, I mean, 
you know, as you're putting energy into a battery, you're charging a battery and then you discharge it, you lose some energy. So right. nothing is a sort of a perfect uh, system. But its efficiency overall in that charge-discharge cycle is fairly high in comparison to other technologies. So it's a nice technology to, uh, to use. It's a good application um, of this sort of storage idea. And if you could do it on a large enough scale and do it efficiently and reasonable cost, then, of course, uh, you can realize uh, a more reliable, as I said, available uh, power source. The other piece, though, that's a kind of a, a difficulty, I guess, to get around in a sense, particularly with battery technology, is the fact that batteries don't like to be cycled that much. So, again, it's a sort of not so much the reliability, but the longevity. You know, can you have a system that will last for, say, 20 years? Um, people don't typically think of building a power plant and having it uh, usable only for a decade. Uh, right. They think of it as being usable for decades, uh, if not longer. For example, the nuclear power plants, we have two of them in Minnesota now. They're extending their life, as far as I last heard, till 2050. So then they've been around for a long time, as well as many other of the sort of more traditional power plants. So longevity is an important piece, and that's also being considered in you know, current research studies and trying to extend that longevity. What is an example of maybe something that is currently successful in storing a large amount of energy and being used for a significant amount of time? Is there, are there any examples out there of something that has shown some promise? Yeah. So uh, as I said, the batteries seems to be the focus, the primary focus, I guess, at the moment, mostly because uh, it's a known technology and the storage levels, you could say, are sufficiently high um, or power and energy density are sufficiently high in certain chemis battery chemistries such that you can take advantage of this on a reasonable scale, that is a sort of reasonable cost. Other technologies, let's say, that have been tried are things like flywheels, you know, where you can store the energy sort of as an as a inertia, and, uh, and it becomes mechanical energy in essence, which has very low loss, uh, although um, manufacturing uh, this type of device uh, can be kind of difficult because, of course, you know, you don't want to have these friction losses, these other sort of energy losses. But people are also looking at fuel cells. Fuel cells actually have quite a lot of promise. Explain those because I really don't really understand how those work. Yeah, sure. So a fuel cell, and you may have uh, heard about fuel cells in vehicles, automotive vehicles. Mm -hmm. Maybe 15 years ago now, there was a, a lot of sort of interest in the automotive industry for fuel cell vehicles. These are vehicles that run on electricity. And a fuel cell is, is essentially, it looks kind of like a battery, except uh, you are supplying uh, the chemical, uh, let's say, fuel to a fuel cell externally, as opposed to it being contained within the device itself. But not gasoline. Not Something. gasoline. Um, fuel cells in automotive applications were typically running on hydrogen. Hmm. And so one of the uh, proponents, or, or one of the benefits, you could say, is that they were very, uh, you know, zero emissions, essentially, except water. So that was the result. You combine hydrogen and oxygen, and then the, that chemical reaction generates electricity, and its, uh, um, its exhaust is water. It's a nice technology. It's also reversible. So you can use something called electrolysis to basically take water, break it up. It's a molecule. You break it up, uh, and then you get your constituent parts, the hydrogen and oxygen. You can store that. And then you could then recombine it later uh, to regain that electricity back. Well, it sounds wonderful. So why don't we do it? Yeah. So the good question. <laughs> so fuel cells, and that's just one type of fuel cell, but, but many fuel cells operate on a similar principle, possibly with other types of fuels. In fact, uh, a very popular, let's say, fuel cell type being looked at strongly today is something called a solid oxide fuel cell. Oh. 
which allows you to basically do the same process but with a multitude of fuels. So it, it's, it's more flexible with respect mm -hmm. to fuels. Hydrogen is very difficult to store because it's a smallest molecule. So you, you end up uh, having very difficult time, if you will, storing hydrogen over long periods of time. But in any case, the question is, why aren't we doing this? Uh, because the technology is not exactly new. Fuel cells have been around for actually a long time. The problem is they're quite expensive uh, components and fuel cells are very expensive to produce. They are a little subject to uh, weather conditions, environmental conditions, so they, they have to be sort of uh, at the right uh, environmental uh, conditions to operate correctly, and that can be a bit of a challenge. And I think, moreover, it's, it's mostly about the cost and, and about the complexity of operating a fuel cell. It's also not as efficient as a battery. Um, I suppose because a fuel cell maybe is 40 to 50% efficient, whereas a battery, as I was talking about earlier, is maybe closer to 75% efficient. So you'd like to increase the efficiency of a fuel cell and still have its benefits that is you're able to store fuel, let's say, more flexibly. And then in that sense, it doesn't have the cycling issues that a battery does. So fuel cells are being looked at very seriously as long as we can sort of scale them up and then uh, make them run uh, economically. It sounds like there's a lot of good science out there, but the big thing is going to be the cost of what consumers aren't going to want to pay that much to get some of this clean energy. Cost is always an issue. I think introducing new technology always has costs and, and probably costs that consumers are reluctant to, to dive into. A lot of people like to think about, for example, solar as, as a good investment and a way to protect themselves, you could say, uh, against any kind of issues associated with uh, availability of electricity. So that is, I have a, a, a solar array, let's say, at my house, and in that sense, I have a way to generate my own electricity and uh, be less dependent, let's say, uh, on the overall grid. And that's an interesting uh, perspective to have. I think as far as cost, many times people will look at that and say, well, you can look at the individual cost of, of the components and the longevity, as I mentioned before, the components and, and replacement costs and so forth. But there are other sort of intangibles, right? So people will think about, well, what is the impact of the environment or what is, what's something that they're, they're just interested in the technology or, or maybe they see overall, uh, this having a long-term benefit that may be short-term, uh, you don't necessarily realize. For example, solar installations now, cost has come down significantly. And as technology is, is more, if you will, accepted in this, in, you know, in, in this on small scale as, as well as large-scale installations, things like solar installations have become a lot cheaper. Payback, I think, last I heard, is about seven to 10 years on a typical residential scale uh, solar array. And that's just if you're considering only the, the, the cost and not the intangibles. Right. And I do know there are people who say they've had the solar panels and they're actually getting a check now because they've got to that point of where they're getting a return now. And so good for them. But long term, I think, too, I've heard this. What are we going to do with all these solar panels that are all over the place? Because they're made of like plastics, I assume. And the, even the wind turbines and things, they've got those big metal blades. And, and what happens to all that stuff? Is that just going to go back and create problems for us in other ways that we don't know about yet? That's a great question. You know, recycling and, as you said, sort of the life cycle, the, the cradle to grave kind of uh, concept with renewable energy uh, uh, technology is, is as, as important as any other technology. So it's definitely something to consider. 
it's one of the major issues with battery technology as well. What do you do with batteries uh, that need to be recycled? Oftentimes we think about, you know, taking our auto, you know, car battery. We take it in and we get a replacement. Yeah, so, we don't uh, even see it. So what what do they it. do with it? Who yeah. knows? Uh, Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, is a, it is a similar concern. Solar panels you brought up, yes. Uh, so solar panels usually are warrantied, for example, to 25 years, but they have degradation. And so after the 20, 25 years, assuming that they still function, they're at a reduced functionality, maybe they're going to be replaced or, or you'd want to replace them. What happens to them? There are companies that are looking at recycling all these types of technologies, including solar uh, arrays. Some of the chemical process required to build a solar array is is not exactly clean, you could say. Mm -hmm. So there are some considerations that need to be taken into account there. But you can uh, recycle solar cells, solar materials. You can, if you will, refurbish uh, older solar panels and so forth. You talked about wind turbines. Wind turbine blades are typically, you know, some type of composite material, actually. But what do you do with composite material, right? So it's not biomaterial, typically. In fact, what a lot of installers are doing, for example, at an existing wind farm, they'll take the existing wind turbine, maybe they'll replace it, and then they'll bury oh. the, the, uh, the existing blades, you can say, and, and the infrastructure on site. Or if it's metallic, such as the model pole tower, then that can be recycled or that can be repurposed. A lot of the electronics can be recycled as well. But yeah, there's still struggling, I would say, a bit with that because with composites, it's a little difficult. Although composites can even be, you know, crushed and ground up and then reused in other in other applications. So, but it is, it is definitely a consideration and something that should be taken into account, I think, as we move forward and try to introduce more of this uh, into into existing power structures. So it doesn't sound like there's a real clear-cut answer at this point. It sounds like it's a good thing to go to renewable energy, but yet we still haven't figured out a lot of those long-term consequences. You know, as with a lot of these sort of endeavors, there's a vision, and the vision looks great. Um, And I think many people could agree on the vision being a positive thing. But getting there takes incremental steps and, of course, careful consideration along the way. And as you said, yeah, I think lots of open questions that still need to be answered. What is it going to take to get us at a point where we're not releasing so much carbon and we aren't polluting and creating this climate change and all this? What are your thoughts on the future? I think that, for example, renewable energy, uh, in my mind, is a good thing because we have this uh, source, the sun, which mm-hmm. provides uh, huge amounts of energy and very small fractions of that we're actually utilizing. So it's a sort of an untapped resource that is all around us all the time. And it's great. Uh, so why not utilize it? Why not uh, take advantage of it? I think there's a lot of benefit to working towards uh, a sort of an, a, this, this sort of ideal in a sense where we can be self-supportive based on existing resources that that are that are plentiful that that have in a sense you know lots of of possibility on the other hand i would say incremental steps are important so that means being careful how you tread forward so this this idea of having a sort of a mix of of energy production from multiple resources i think in the short term is not a bad thing if we think about an automotive industry for example as i mentioned the 15, 20 years ago, fuel cells seemed to be a really hot topic. Mm-hmm. People thought we were going to be in a hydrogen economy and that we we're going to jump right from combustion engines to hydrogen fueled vehicles. And that didn't happen. What did happen is that we had a transition 
through hybrid vehicles and now transitioning more into electric vehicles and now relooking, I think, at, uh, at fuel cell vehicles and, and so forth. So there's an incremental steps uh, which eventually get us towards sort of a more energy independent, you could say, or more carbon neutral or, or carbon free type energy production. But I think it will take some incremental steps and, and we just need to be, I think, careful not to step too quickly, but to keep our eye kind of on the prize. I do think in the future, less reliance on sort of fossil fuel based production is a good thing. I think it helps uh, for, in many different reasons and for and not only the environment, but also for our, again, for the technology that we can take advantage of and, and the power and the energy available around us that we can take advantage of. So I think that there's a lot of positives there and I'm, I'm, I'm positive and very optimistic about it. I don't know if, it, if 2030, 2040, 2050. Is a little I, optimistic perhaps? I don't like putting, I don't like putting uh, uh, dates on things necessarily. Yeah. But I think as long as we're sort of moving in that direction and, and, and people are open to, to, the, to the advances that can come, I th- and I think they will come eventually, yeah. Are we going to run out of the fossil fuels? You know, that's a really good question. It depends, uh, I think, on who you're talking to. And, well, and I mean, <laughs> I've heard different things. That's why I'm asking. Just yeah, what? yeah. My feeling is that uh, every time I've heard that fossil fuels are going to run out, that all of a sudden there's another untapped resource. That, like we that do was, fracking all of a sudden. That, that was we a found thing. out. Yeah. The problem is, though, that, sure, there may be other resources, if you will, that are untapped, but that those all have consequences. Fracking has consequences. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, although there may be other resources available, I think it's it's always good to keep in mind that trying to move towards, uh, let's say, the impactful type of energy production um, is going to be useful and, and, and going to be, if you will, the safest way in a sense. Geologic issues associated with fracking, you know, can be quite serious and a lot of that's unknown. So again, I I would say it seems like fossil fuels will be around for the time being, at least in the short term. I would say, and I'm not an earth scientist, um, but I would say it's, it's very likely that renewables, uh, since their, their growth has been so, you know, intense, if you will, of the last decade or so. I think there will be a, if you will, a, a, a sea change where we'll see renewable production, if you will, far uh, exceed uh, what potential benefits we could receive from, you know, limited, if you will, additional exploration in fossil fuels. I think we're moving as a society away from that. And I think that for, that, that really is, is for the for the better. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think there's a place for fossil fuels in the near term. And, but I think in the future, you know, renewables is, is, is really the future. So what are some simple steps we can take as individuals or groups, businesses, whatever, to maybe get toward this goal that we're working toward to be uh, lower emissions and, and greener? I, I think people can get involved, first of all, by getting themselves educated in the technology. Technology changes fast. I spend a, a fair amount of time myself trying to uh, keep up uh, with the technology advances. And I think it, it benefits people in general to, uh, to learn about this and, and, to, and to read about it and talk about it. So discussion and, and about these types of technologies, I think, is useful. The other thing I would say is, is be, if you will, proactive and be, in a sense, interested and involved and engaged in, in what the utilities are doing. So, for example, if you have an electric utility that supplies electricity to you, and you know, speaking specifically about electricity, talk to those folks uh, uh, that are that are working at that utility. Get to know what they're trying to do. Find out, you know, what their plans are, 
and then and and as I said, uh, learn about it and and try to understand the, the the details. I think the more people that are involved in the decision making and sort of their their viewpoints as opposed to being passive, I think is to to their benefit. So. I don't necessarily mean uh, that you have to join a <laughs> electric utility board or something like that, but but I think you know knowledge is, is is useful and also, as I said, being open to the possibility of new technologies that come out that you could try that on a small scale in particular. You might find that it's it's something that could be very useful to you and and interesting. So Vince, what is a go-to resource that you could recommend people to learn more about this? It's simple, it's simplistic enough that they could understand it versus going to some textbook and being confused. Yeah, there there are a number of of and, and I guess I'll point to uh, uh, government resources because actually they're they're quite good. There is a website called an EIA.gov website, um, and this is a great resource uh, for all things energy related course, the federal government has a, a number of organizations that are involved in, in energy tracking analysis and so forth. But that is a great resource. The other resource it might be a little strange to people, but I, but I recommend um, just for the interest of finding out what is happening, let's say locally, more locally, let's say within the state, we have these uh, uh, organizations called independent system operators, which are these kind of conglomerates, you could say, uh, and there are multiples of them within the United States, and they kind of manage the flow of electricity within a certain regional area. The regional area that we have in our location, you could say, is called MISO, M-I-S-O. And if you go to their website, you find out a lot of information about how electricity is flowing in the state, where it's coming from, how what what is the, the say, balance of, of where that electricity is, is being generated in real time. So M-I-S-O, I think it's M-I-S-O.org as well. But those are two really good, I would say, resources to to educate yourself and to learn about what's going on. Anything else you think is important for people to know about renewable energy? You know, I would say since, you know, I work at uh, Minnesota State University in Mankato, you know, I'm in electrical and computer engineering. This is a technology that we're interested in. And if you're interested in it too, please reach out to us. Come and talk to us and, and let us know what you're interested in hearing about or learning about. And then we can help provide some of that uh, information. One of the things uh, I do as an educator is, is uh, uh, you know, look for how the technology trends. And, and so I'm ready to answer questions when people have them. And, and uh, we, we really enjoy having visitors to come and talk to us. And, and so please do that. Wonderful. We've been chatting with Dr. Vincent Winstead, a professor in electrical and computer engineering and technology here at Minnesota State University about renewable energy. I want to thank you for your time and for all the great information. Sure. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks very much for inviting me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where you are part owner. Member NCUA, more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by Lee Pomeroy. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner, member NCUA, more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.